Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for joining me today. Like every day, it's always uh, really quite exciting to be behind the microphone because we get to talk about the good news of Jesus Christ and we get to uh, proclaim his word. We get to celebrate what God is doing in the lives of of you and what you are um, growing, how you're growing in your faith. This is uh, like the best news every day. And I love doing it with my group of friends and colleagues that we get to have meaningful conversations with. And today is going to be lots of fun. Alex McFarland is my first guest, uh, and you know him because he's a regular, which I always appreciate. I love my regulars. Um, And then we are going to have uh, actor Kevin Sorbo come on after Alex, and then Daryl Harrison is going to be my guest in hour two. We're going to be talking about suffering and God's sovereignty. That's the plan for the day. I'm looking forward to all both hours. So, Alex, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much. This is a great honor. I love and applaud Faith Radio, and I especially am fond of the Bill Arnold Show. Ah, thank you so much. Question, Alex, why does it appear so hard to be a Christian? Why does it seem difficult for people to walk out their Christian faith? Wow. Well, you know, a hundred years ago, G.K. Chesterton said, it's not that Christianity has been tried and found lacking. It's been found difficult and left untried. Ooh, that's so good. And, and, and you, you know, the, the Christian faith is a free gift, salvation. You put your faith in Jesus. But the Christian life, which involves, you know, here's kind of a a big biblical word, but the word sanctification. To be sanctified means increasingly set apart, more and more conformed to Jesus. And that that's hard. Um, I heard a poem once, um, to live above with those we love, oh, that would be glory. To live below with those we know, well, that's another story. Because, you know, um, Christianity is uh, required to love our family members that are ungrateful. Christianity is required to do the right thing, even if it's the hard thing. And so, um, you know, yes, salvation is free, but living as a disciple of Jesus, uh, that's a daily commitment, isn't it, Bill? Yes, it is. It is. And I want to also say, if you're going to work at developing a Christian mindset, I think there's several things that for me it's important to always be reminding me of. Uh, One is that in the Lord himself, I think of who he is and what he has done and that he is nearby. He is as close as uh, my next prayer. He's, He's ready to help. I know he's coming soon. And I think to myself, that's something I keep in the front of my brain all the time. Amen. Amen. Hey, um, I got to tell you what I've been doing all summer because you and I haven't talked in a few weeks. It's great to talk with you, but we just wrapped up our seventh summer youth camp, Biblical Worldview, and we we had seven camps. 
um, New Jersey, Iowa, Indiana, the Carolinas, Tennessee, Georgia, wow. Colorado. Had 1,200 kids. Uh, praise God, 300 youth prayed to accept Christ. Love that. And, but all 100% um, said they wanted to pray for their friends, pray for their school, pray for their family, pray for this country. And um, listen to this, out of 1,200 kids, we had in the whole summer only one discipline issue, and it was very, very, very minor. Mm. I mean, these are good kids, but we, we talked to them about the way you make it and your your strength, just like an athlete needs good nutrition. It's the Word of God and being a disciple and having a biblical worldview. And so, Bill, I know I've, I've missed a few of my... Um, much appreciated visits on Faith Radio, but it's been an amazing summer, and I give God the glory for the honor to tell these middle school and high schoolers about, number one, trusting Jesus, but then growing and living for Jesus, because that really is life's highest mission, the, the most important thing. Nothing else matters but the Savior and living for Him. And Bill, you know what's so cool is the these young people they eat it up like very very hungry for God's truth, and um, I just want to praise God for what I feel like has been an inc- a busy, maybe tiring, but very fruitful summer. Yeah, Alex, when you talk about these young people uh, having their uh, their scales fall off or their uh, I'm going to place my faith and trust in Christ. I, I'm, I'm thrilled by that news. And then I think, all right, now you put on your, your work pants. And what I mean by that is you get into God's word and you study and you uh, start learning um, how to grow in your understanding of God and get close to him. And that's how you, I think you have the sanctification. That's how you walk it out. Well, and, and yeah, you're right. Um, there, there's kind of a principle that we teach is that, you know, follow Jesus even at the risk of being misunderstood. Because there, there's going to be times when friends don't understand as a follower of Jesus. Here's why we don't go out and get wild and party yeah. like other people might do. Here, here's why we stand for God's truth about morals and life and follow Jesus even at the risk of being misunderstood. And uh, we talked to the kids about, Paul says, you know, bearing the reproach of Christ. So here's the deal. Um, Are you still going to stand for Jesus when people someday might make fun of you? Yeah. Some people might ostracize you. Some people might try to cancel you. And the good news is the kids, man, they they are committed to the Lord. I will tell you this, and I, I should play this. I, I don't know if you can hear it, but um, may, may I play a little, it'll take that literally probably, that about... That probably won't work unless it's hooked into your... Uh, an audio system. clip. Yeah, unless it's hooked into your system, it might not sound good. Yeah, well, I have these kids say, and, and we there are more speakers than me. I mean, we have a lot of speakers that we bring in talking about you know apologetics, biblical worldview, creation versus evolution, the Bible being the Word of God. And we talk about America and this nation, and I have the kids, and they say it zealously. We are the generation who will restore America. And I'll say, say it like you mean it. We are the generation who will restore America. And I guess part of the reason I wanted to share that with your listeners is 
um, it's easy to get discouraged, hopeless. You know, the world just looks totally spinning out of control. But God is still raising up people. And Jesus is still transforming lives. And very often some of those lives are middle school and teenagers and high schoolers. But, Bill, I'm encouraged mm. because the gospel is still true, Christ is still risen, and he still reigns. And um, what an honor every day for each of us to stand for him. Yeah. I certainly hope these young students uh, have a desire to share their hope that they have in Christ with others. I, what I was hearing a little bit was a little bit of political activism, which I'm not as attracted to as I am uh, taking you know, people one at a time alive for Christ. Yeah. We talk about all of it. Uh, we do. We do. Uh, and I do think that every Christian is to be a witness because um, the word witness in the English, in the Greek, is really the word martyr. You know? Now, hopefully none of these people or nor anyone listening will be martyred for the gospel in the sense of, you know, like you know, Bill, uh, you know Jim Elliot, or being killed. Uh, although that that does happen, martyrdom has been the lot of mm -hmm. some believers. But we we need to die to our silence. We need to die to our fear and uh, our apathy. And we do need to be a witness and influence others for for Jesus. Because you know, uh, the Billy Graham ministry says the ma the vast majority of people that make a decision for Christ are nudged towards the gospel through the influence of a, of a friend or a family member. So I think we have more opportunity than we may realize to influence people toward a decision for Christ. I agree with that, and I'm, I'm excited for this group of students throughout the summer that you had a chance to connect to that heard the gospel and their lives were transformed and changed, and I really pray and pray that they uh, not only grow in their depth and understanding of God's love, but they also become uh, very focused to share their hope and grow in their faith and let other people know that they're going to take a stand as they go into these uh, middle schools and high schools, that yeah. they're going to look and sound different than the rest of the world. Well, let, let me uh, humbly tell you why we do bring a little bit of patriotism into our message. Um is not activism for the sake of activism, because believe me, I know that the the front burner issue is salvation and discipleship. But if if God's people aren't activists, um, I can assure you, those who don't know God are. You know, having spoken or debated at more than two hundred American universities, um, I, I really do believe the church should, uh, you know, I understand our home is heaven, and our priority list are the things of God, and, you know, like John, thir John 12 and 13, Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw them into myself. But I really think that as a church, we, we have to speak about the state of the, the, the culture, mm -hmm. because if, if we don't, there are five dozen other worldviews that zealously will. I'm only speaking for myself on this. No, but no, I... we 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 do bring in what it means our personal impact as a Christian in all the realms of of life. Mm -hmm. Dr. Alex McFarland is my guest now. Alex, you've got a.
very uh, important opportunity coming up uh, in just moments. You're going to get a chance to address a group. Uh, what is the focus of your talk? Well, I'm at a Christian college in Colorado, and um, I'm going to be talking about, and this is kind of abstract, maybe we can peel this onion on another day, natural law. Okay. C.S. Lewis's book, The Abolition of Man, written in 1943, and how all cultures have an awareness of moral boundaries. Mm-hmm. It's a lot like Romans 1, 18 through 22, Romans two fifteen. the Gentiles who didn't have the Torah had God's law written on their heart. And um, that self-evident truth, as Jefferson wrote, was the philosophical foundation of our country. So that's the lecture I'm going to give. Awesome. Well, blessings to you, and we'll be praying for uh, your presentation this afternoon, and thanks for joining the show. God bless you, Bill. I hope to come back soon. Thank you. Dr. Alex McFarland is my guest, and you can go uh, to his website, alexmcfarland.com, to check out his uh, his writing and his books. He's written over 20. And we're going to take a break. When we come back, I'm curious as to what you do. What is your mindset for maintaining your Christian walk? As you go about your day and you go about your week and your month, what are you doing in regards to your mindset that keeps you focused? I'd love to hear, because I think this would be very encouraging for us to share uh, what everyone is doing, uh, 877-933-2484. So what do you do to keep your mindset focused? Um, how how do you keep yourself in the lane that says, I'm going to keep the main thing the main thing? I'm going to do each day what God calls me to do, and how do you get yourself in that mindset? I'd love to hear from you. 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Giveaway. I don't know if, the, if that's three words or three syllables. I'm not sure it matters. What really matters is we are giving away 100 copies of Susie Larson's new book, Closer Than Your Next Breath. Where is God when you need him most? If you have ever wondered about hearing the voice of God or is feeling good the same as feeling God? Is, is there anything I can do when God seems silent? All of that is covered in Susie's new book. And if you want to get in on the drawing, you can enter to win your copy now. You can do it at myfaithradio.com. Thanks for listening to the podcast and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to the show. It was awfully nice speaking to Dr. Alex McFarland. He had to head out, but I wanted to continue along this line. In James chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And the word for establish in the original language means to strengthen or to confirm, to make more marked by firm determination or resolution. So if we establish our hearts, and we do that every day, I think we're going to be much stronger, much more focused believers, and be more mission-minded in what God has us to do. And Paul says, stand firm, let nothing move you, and always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So what do you do to establish your heart every day? 
I, I, I love getting up super early. I know that is not going to be something that other people would be attracted to, but I do get up really early, and that's some of my most favorite time is because the I know it's quiet and my mind is still. My heart is seems to be more ready and open uh, because my I just my mind is more clear. So I open up God's Word and I spend lots of time. Drink way too much coffee, and it also gives me just a chance to get my 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 heart established again for the day to give myself a chance to get my mind set. And I, I just think that's a, just such an important part of my day. So my question is for you, how do you establish your heart and get ready to go out and be ready to face the day? Because there's, there's going to be things that are going to be troubling. There's going to be suffering that's ahead. So stand firm, let nothing move you. When James says establish your heart, I think it's you know a way of saying determine that your whole heart is to pursue a lifestyle of persistent devotion as you serve God. Because I, I know that there's so many uh, listeners at Faith Radio that say, that's my deep desire. And if you're brand new to the station and you maybe are just kicking the tires wondering if you want to keep listening, know that God has this beautiful, wonderful plan for your life. And as you grow in your understanding and knowledge of Him, your heart will explode and your your directives will be clear because God has that way of showing you truth and giving you purpose and meaning and letting you know what love is and what amazing, unconditional love is. Um, I think of the farmers uh, who are listening to Faith Radio who who wait patiently for the rains in the fall and in the spring, and they and they look eagerly for their harvest to ripen. That's talked about in James chapter five as well. And a farmer has to remain patient, has to wait for a healthy crop to arrive. And, and he really, he has no control over the weather because <laughs> none of us does. And so he's got to trust this season, this crop, this harvest. He's got to entirely entrust that into the Lord's hands. And I know there's lots of people who make a living as farmers. And if you're listening as you're out in the field working, or if you have a chance to make a comment to that contribution that I just made, or I'd love to hear from you as well, 877-933-2484. I think of the good soil in the parable of the sower. Um, we establish uh, in our hearts when we hear God's word and and we cling to it, and it's going to produce in us a, a harvest because that seed went on fertile soil and it got into your heart and it got established and uh, our our harvest that we look forward to having in our lives is going to be the work of the Holy Spirit. It's going to be the fruit of His work in our lives. And when troubles come your way, and I know James talks about this as well, uh, consider it an opportunity for great joy. I've always struggled with that verse. What do you mean great joy? Adversity doesn't ever feel like great joy. But I know, and you probably know, from when your faith has been tested— that's when you really grew close to God and your endurance and your time in that adversity did bring you closer to God and, and made your relationship with him grow. So that's awesome. Um, so I want you to establish your heart, keep your eyes on the prize. And if you have a way in which you really like establishing your heart every day or getting your mindset ready to take on the day and want to share what it is you do, I'd love to hear 
933-2484. Here's something that just came in, spend time with God in the first thing in the morning. Okay, I'm with you. I love doing that too. Uh, Acknowledgement that people when, uh, acknowledge people when you pass them by, smile and say hi. We all want to be acknowledged. Amen in Jesus' name. That is so true. The simple fact that we notice somebody is important. Um, And just give them the, the smile or the eye contact, that I think is a, a big deal. Yesterday, yesterday I was in a restaurant and I was just getting up from having my half a sandwich and I left my plate there and the, the bus boy was just walking by, bus man, I should say, because he was an older person. And he said, I'd be happy to grab your plate right now. And I said, oh, thank you so much. And I said, I looked him in the eye and I said, and thank you for the awesome work that you're doing here. And he kind of stopped and he kind of smiled and he said, well, thank you for saying that. He goes, uh, next month will be my 20th year of working here. And I thought, God bless you, you know? And I, I, I gave him a little little small gratuity and he just thought that was like the coolest thing ever. But it was just that little moment where he felt recognized, he felt uh, respected, he felt honored. And I thought, boy, that cost me nothing except uh, sharing Christian love, looking him in the eye, and uh, giving him a word of affirmation. So as you get your mindset ready, uh, as you go out with an established heart each day, cling to God's word uh, and patiently wait for the opportunity that he has before you because uh, he will provide you with opportunities every day, especially if you ask him. If you say, Lord, let me not be unaware of someone you might be putting in my life today. If I have this opportunity Make sure I'm aware. Help me to be present. Help me to be in the moment. Help me to take that extra beat, that moment of eye contact or a smile. And let me be salt and light in a very, very broken world. Because uh, an established heart is going to be filled with uh, strength. It's going to be filled with uh, hope. And it's going to have that ever-present love that God has for you. And I just think that when you understand that your love is going to be uh, rooted and grounded in the Holy Spirit, uh, you will walk out in this world with incredible confidence because it's not your confidence. It will be God's confidence. And I think that's um, something to praise God for every day. So as you get your mindset ready every day, establish your heart, know that uh, God's got a great job for you to do every day and look forward to it and be s- and celebrate because life is short and we all know that we have limited time so let's make the, the most of it. If you uh, feel close to God, but you really would like to get even closer, um, I got an idea for you. Sometimes, you know, it is hard to feel God's presence. And if you want to grow closer to him, you can start with an encouragement from our own Susie Larson. Uh, when you text the word closer to 877-933-2484, you can hear directly from Susie when you text the word closer. A lot of people are doing that. She's been generous enough with her publisher to be offering Faith Radio 100 copies of her new book, which is Closer Than Your Next Breath, Where Is God When You Need Him Most? And that might be another great way to get your mindset ready for the day. Establish your heart, get your mind ready for the day. Because we've got 100 copies, and I think we've already given away about 50, there's still plenty of room for you to get in on one of the uh, the copies of her book you can enter to win yours now. You can uh, go to myfaithradio.com and you can fill out a form and enter to win 
right now. We're going to take a break. When we come back, actor Kevin Sorbo is going to join me. He's in town for the week, celebrating a little bit of uh, summer vacation with his family. He grew up here in the Twin Cities, and he's going to talk about his a new movie and what life is like. We'll be right back with Kevin in just a minute. Welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. So glad you joined me today. And, you know, I think it was the D.A. Carson said, the godliest thing you can do in the universe is to get a good night's sleep. I don't know if you had one last night, but I hope you did. And uh, for a lot of people, getting a good night's sleep is a toughie. And we're going to talk about that very topic today with Scott Hubbard. He's written an article over at DesiringGod.org called The Godliness of a Good Night's Sleep. He's an editor there as well. And, uh, a regular contributor here at the show. I always look forward to seeing Scott. I learned so much. Scott, welcome. Glad to be here. All right, so this is something that you've wrestled with yourself. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I think somewhere early on in my Christian life, I started to associate little sleep or sleeplessness with godliness, that uh, the godliest people got the least amount of sleep. And I think there were all kinds of reasons for that, but the upshot is that I tried <laughs> uh, in those early years, especially to just carve off minutes and sometimes even more drastically, you know, carve off an hour, two hours maybe from, mm-hmm. from my nightly routine, seeing, you know, how, how little sleep am I able to get in order to redeem the time? <laughs> so yeah, I, this is coming from some experience. Mm-hmm. Now this is going to be hard news for some people who say, all right, it, I don't, I, I can't sleep very well at all. So I, what are you going to say that's going to help? That, that you're stressing some people out right now. What, because they can't, they already have a hard time yes, sleeping? Yes, yes. Yeah. And they would love for this to be some information they can get that's going to let them rest. Yeah, well, I have written other articles on sleep that deal with more, you know, more with that kind of thing. Yeah. This angle is definitely more for those people who who feel like they should be getting uh, little sleep as a matter of spiritual maturity sure. or something like that, or just have a subtle sense in the back of their heads that uh, little sleep is actually a godly way forward. I do, I do think that what I talk about here, what the scriptures say about sleep, uh, should have an effect to calm the heart, calm the mind, and help. I agree. Help us sleep when it comes uh, more and with more difficulty than we would like. And now you do a great job in the article of of uh, showing us. Uh, scripture, a little sleep, a little slumber in Proverbs 6.10. And then uh, you read of psalmist who prayed at night, at midnight, and and woke before dawn. That's Psalm 119.62 and 147. And a Savior who rose very early and sometimes passed the night without a wink. That's yeah. Luke 6.12. So I'm getting the idea that there's a lot of uh, people up praying at all hour, hours of the day. <laughs> well, these are the kinds of passages that can you know, kind of endorse that assumption. If you if you just hear some stories, maybe from church history, maybe from other people in your life that give you the sense, oh, wow, they don't sleep very much and they seem godly. Then there are these passages like, oh yeah, the sluggard 
part of his problem is that he he won't get out of bed. And there are these psalmists who are praying at midnight and they wake before dawn and Jesus himself, part of his um, perfection is that often he rose very early in the morning to meet with the Father. So there are these stories from Scripture that show, okay, there is something to this. Like sometimes it is a very godly thing to do, to forsake sleep in order to commune with the Lord or meet people's needs, that kind of thing. So that's a strong strain in the Scriptures. It's not the only strain, though, and that's what I had to learn. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about some of the dangers of a little sleep, because if we don't, sleep is so foundational, and if we're not getting what we need, we're, we're in trouble in so many areas and, and of our lives. Yeah, yeah, we are. And I think you can, if you just get little sleep for a while, and by, you know, little, maybe we'll say less than six hours a night for a long time, then you'll begin to feel uh, eventually, inescapably, some of the physical, mental consequences that come with little sleep, especially if you're getting even less than that. Uh, so there's this bodily component to it. There's this mental component to it that people who do sleep research, there's just showing up more and more and more. Oh, wow. Just how foundational sleep is to other aspects of just basic human health. The, the sleep re- researcher, um, oh, what's his name? I have it here. Uh, Matthew Walker. Uh, he wrote this book called Why We Sleep. But anyway, he said he used to say that sleep is one of the three pillars of health, you know, mm-hmm. sleep, diet, exercise. Yep. And then the more research he does, he realizes, no, it's actually the foundation under the other pillars. Because if you don't get enough sleep, actually dieting and exercise doesn't have the effect that it ought to have. That's true. It just doesn't take take root in the ways that it would. If, That's true. So sleep is kind of the foundation for the, all these bodily things. And then... Scriptures is going to say, oh, it's, it's actually a foundation for some spiritual things, too. Yeah. What if I can't say no, Scott Hubbard, and you call me at 11 o'clock and say, I really need to talk to you. So I go, oh, all right, I'll get out of bed and I'll come over and meet with Scott because he's got something on his mind. And then, you know, my friend Jim, he wants a ride to the airport at 530. So I'm not going to sleep much at all, but I'm doing ministry. <laughs> well, those are good things. They okay. really are. And there's going to be a point of personal application here because some people are going to err on different sides. There's going to be one person who... Uh, just discounts their need for a good night's sleep and therefore has very few boundaries. It's just not a, it's just not a meaningful boundary in their life. Their bedtime isn't, um, <laughs> they don't have anything like a fixed bedtime, but it just gets moved around at whim by the tyranny of the urgent. So there's those kinds of people mm-hmm. who actually probably need to say no more often, put up a little bit of a firmer boundary to actually protect the sleep they need so that they can walk in more good works over the long term. Then there are other people who... Uh, just out of a perhaps selfishness, we we maybe shy away from those things that are going to stretch us and make us get out of bed. So there's going to be a personal application depending on which direction people need to move there. But certainly as Christians, there's a godliness to a good night's sleep, but we don't hold up sleep as a master in our lives. It's always a servant to the needs of love. I like that. Scott Hubbard is my guest. He has written an article, which you can find over at DesiringGod.org, called The Godliness of a Good Night's Sleep. I know this is a topic many people struggle with, including yours truly at times when you feel like you're out of rhythm and you, you've you got this uh, heaviness that you maybe take to bed and you, and you can't rest and then you wake up in the middle of the night, you can't get back to sleep. So we're going to try to sort through this with Scott and figure out uh, better ways to, to calm our mind, to give it to God and to learn how to uh, trust that the Lord is, 
is going to help us get a, that sleep we need. Uh, because, Scott, as we just talk about the spiritual need behind sleep, maybe you would share what you mean by that. Yeah. Well, I break down the ways that sleep functions in our lives in kind of a four-part. Uh, it, it plays four roles, at least. These, I'm sure you could come up with more, but as you look at the scriptures and the role that God has given to sleep as a part of our created life, he's created sleep to be a kind of healer and a kind of teacher and a kind of giver and a kind of servant. So there are all these four functions that sleep has in a godly person's life, and they all relate not only to mind and body, but also to soul. And so if you just think about sleep as healer, so there's all these medical considerations that you could take into account, all the ways sleep restores our memories and staves off sickness and gives us energy for the day. Spiritually, one of the striking stories that I like to think about is the story of Elijah in 1 Kings 19. He's despairing. He's just had this showdown on Mount Carmel. Now he's running from Jezebel, Mm -hmm. Queen Jezebel. And he gets into this place where he's just absolutely um, despondent. And he tells the Lord, he asks the Lord to take his life. So he's at a low, very low point. And what the Lord does first is not speak to Elijah, but give him sleep. And then he wakes him up and gives him food to eat. And then he gives him more sleep. (laughs) And then after that, he speaks to him. Which suggests to me that sometimes in order to hear God's words Mm -hmm. as we ought to, we need the kind of rest for mind and body that opens our ears to hear them. Like he has made us not only souls, but bodies. And the two just go along together such that when we are treating our bodies in the way that God designed, we are more able to interact with him in soul as he made mm-hmm. us do. So sleep heals us. Um, it, it halts us nightly in order that it might heal us so that we wake up ready to hear God's words of life. In your article, Scott, you talk about uh, John Piper saying that the lesson from Elijah's experience is that you become emotionally less resilient on little sleep. Yeah. I think that's such a good point. Yeah. I mean, there are all these clusters of sins that we are more prone to when we are sleepy, mm-hmm. when we're sleep deprived. It's probably different for every every different person, but some people are way more prone to grumbling when they're sleep deprived, others to lust, others to cynicism, to bitterness. Uh, yeah, John Piper talks about how he's emotionally less resilient. Mm-hmm. He says it's not simply a matter of being healthy, but it's for him a matter of staying in the ministry. Yeah. And he says yeah, he's tempted to say it's a matter of persevering as a Christian. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's just this, such a difference in the soul. Scott, do you know that acronym that's used in uh, recovery programs, people that str- struggle with addiction, the, ac- the acronym HALT? Do you know that one? I don't. Yeah, it's um, uh, Hungry angry, lonely, tired. Mm. When you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, you're more likely to self-medicate Yeah, and, and, and lash out. Yeah, I think that would be helpful for everybody, every one of us to have in mind that we're, we're all going to be more tempted there, yeah. no doubt to some degree, uh, for people who struggle so you, with addiction so deeper. You, but. You, so you can ask yourself, yeah. am I hungry? Am I angry? Am I lonely? Am I tired? And then you're going to be more inclined to reach out to something that may be self-destructive. Yeah, no, yeah. that's helpful. It might be binge watching Netflix sure. for eight hours. You know, you go, that's not productive, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. yeah. if you're any of that. So it doesn't have to be an addiction necessarily. That's right. That's right. Uh, but we a all have our ways of coping that are uh, self-destructive. Yeah. 
Because God certainly does pretty miraculous work when we lay our bodies down and he starts to kind of uh, heal our, our brains and, and things get re- reorganized on our brain's desktop, don't they? They do. And that's why I think we have dreams because we sometimes, as things are getting rearranged on our desktop, we're going, I had the weirdest dream. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, it's just remarkable stuff. You know, I'm uh, just have done a little bit of reading into the sleep science, but it's amazing yeah. what happens in the brain. Yeah, and, it's like last night, Tuesday, I'm I'm having this dream that I had Scott Hubbard in the, in the <laughs> studio on Monday. I'm going, wait, he's he's showing up Wednesday. So, you know, you have this dream, like, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, that's right. So uh, anyway, I love a good inside joke. All right, um, what else should we learn from sleep? Well, if sleep is a healer, then sleep is also a teacher. And uh, it teaches lessons in a world that sometimes, again, this is going to depend on kind of what kind of person you are, but for those who are prone to productive self-reliance, just geared toward productivity, toward the to-do list, toward getting things done, toward falling, you know, laying your head down only when everything's been done. The bed is, is I say here in, in the article, it's, it's like a desk in the school of humility. It nightly reminds us that we are not the ones who hold our lives together, mm-hmm. but God is. And you say in your article, like Israel's weekly Sabbath, nighttime bids us to lay down our to-do lists and cease our striving, yep. reminding us that God can keep our lives running while we lie unproductive. That's right. Yeah. And it's a lesson hard learned. You remember in the book of Exodus, after God gives the Sabbath command to basically, you know, collect manna on these six days, I'm going to give you a double portion on day six so you don't have to on day seven. And there are a bunch of people go out on day seven anyway looking for the manna. That's an image of what I often do and when I'm working when I should be sleeping. I'm, it's as if I'm going into this realm where God has said, rest, and I'm trying to work and be productive anyway. But there's this often this underlying sense of lack of trust, lack of being able to hand over cares into God's hands. Mm-hmm. And, be blessedly unconscious. Scott Hubbard is my guest. He's over at DesiringGod.org. Scott, let's talk about our Savior and the way in which he often needed rest and sleep. But at first, let me take a break. We'll come back. That will be where we'll go. Does that Great. sound good? Yep. All right, we'll take a short break and be right back with Scott Hubbard in just a minute. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting myfaithradio.com. Welcome back. We're talking to Scott Hubbard today about how important sleep is. The godliness of a good night's sleep. You wrote that article at desiringgod.org. You can go check out the article yourself. It came out August 6th, and it's a really excellent, excellent article. Right before the break, Scott, I was asking about the need that Jesus had to rest and sleep. And I love when he's asleep with his head on a cushion and the boat is raging. And I think to myself, how did he do it? Yeah. (laughs) How? Have you ever drifted off to sleep on a plane and they hit some turbulence? Everybody's up. <laughs> yep, that's right. And this was more than turbulence. More than boat. turbulence, yeah. So um, maybe there's a message he's sending us. Whatever storm you're in, I'm calm. 
Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, we know that he could stay awake when he needed to. He uh, rose often very early in the morning to commune with the Father. And at, at, at least one instance, he stayed awake all night praying the night before he called his disciples by name. But then you get these instances of him of him sleeping in this particularly striking one in in the Gospels where he's, yeah, Mark calls him asleep on the cushion in the midst of this terrifying storm to these fishermen. And yes, no doubt it is speaking a lesson that uh, Jesus himself daily, nightly laid his own soul, laid his own cares in the hands of his father. And so he was able to go to sleep when he needed to, even Mm -hmm. in situations that to us would induce panic. So we're not always able to follow him in that way, but we are growing to be more like him. And the path that he charts for us is a path of trusting God and laying ourselves down in the sovereign hands of our Father. Mm-hmm. Scott, would you talk about in your article at desiringgod.org about sleep falls among those good gifts to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth? A lot yeah. of people listening, Scott, are saying, I believe and know the truth, and boy, do I struggle with sleep. Well, yeah, there's different kinds of struggle. There's the one that I'm talking about in this article and that I've certainly experienced, which is, okay, yeah, yeah, I can see that my body needs sleep, and so I guess I'll just try to get the bare minimum that I can get in order to get by. You know, it's this frustrating, annoying thing, though. I have to push pause on the stuff that I want to do. I wish wish I just needed two hours of sleep and could do stuff for 22 hours a day. Mm-hmm. And that's, um, in my mind a a attitude an attitude that doesn't reckon with sleep not only being necessary but being a gift the scriptures talk about sleep for god's people as not only needed but as sweet and there's this sense that yes it falls among the gifts not only to be received because you have to do it but to be received with gratitude so there's this line from adrian reynolds who wrote this little book on sleep that's helpful but Receiving sleep Christianly means not only getting what your body needs, but waking up after a good night, stretching and crying out, thank you, Lord, for the good gift of sleep. And one of the just most beautiful entryways into this is Psalm 31.5. There's this prayer that is on the lips of Jesus, ultimately, into your hand, I commit my spirit. In the days of Jesus, that was a common nighttime prayer for Jewish children, especially. Into your hand, O God, I commit my spirit. And that gets at this aspect of sleep as not only needed, but as a gift. Because what God does night by night is invite us, beckon us, even command us to lay not only our cares, but also our very selves into his own hand. All the things that feel so disquieting, so perplexing, so troubling, so distracting, lay them at his hands, in his hands, lay ourselves in his hands, and, and to sleep there. And there's no, um, no sweeter place to be, no sweeter place to lay our heads down to rest. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a gift. Scott, have you gotten into the habit of saying that, into your hand I commit my spirit? Yeah, not consistently. There have yeah, been yeah. seasons, though, where I've, yeah, yeah. just self-consciously, that, that's been a prayer at nighttime. I mean, I could, I could see repeating that 25 or 30 times. Yeah, if, sure. If you're wide awake yeah. and you think, what? Why don't I just start saying this over and over? Yeah, that's right. Because often 
not always, but often there's something churning around in our minds, some care that we're trying to, you know, figure out uh, about, or and it's often not the time to do it. And no. so, yeah, why not say, into your hand I commit my spirit, and into your hand I commit this particular care. Hmm. So, when you talk about sleep as a servant, I really liked that expression, the way you framed that. It's um, it's there to serve, right? Yeah, that's right. Because if you grab hold of all the good that God means to do for us in sleep, that mm-hmm. it's a healer, that it's a teacher, that it's a giver, it's going to move you to prioritize sleep. It's going to move you to you know take some basic steps toward getting the sleep that your body actually needs. But if we're going to think about sleep in a fully Christian way, it doesn't, it doesn't stop there. The net application of this isn't, therefore, get a good night's sleep no matter what. Because Jesus is the one that we follow, and he sometimes sacrificed sleep for the sake of love. And so ultimately, sleep is not a master that we serve, but it is a servant that God means to serve and help us Mm -hmm. in the cause, especially of glorifying him and walking in love toward others, meeting needs that are sometimes inconvenient and sometimes take away our sleep. Mm -hmm. You know the toll it takes on you when you have pulled an all-nighter. Yeah. I don't know if you've done that for a while. Yeah, it's been a while. But yeah, yeah. Um, when you consider the night of Jesus' arrest in the garden, I don't think he slept that night. No, that would be... He was up all night. One of the two nights in the Gospels where we know for... A fact, he was up. Yeah, he was up. And then he took the the flogging and went to the cross, and that was uh, what he did the night and the day of his crucifixion. Yeah, that's right. Incredible. Yeah, so there are these, there are these stories in the Scriptures that show just, you know, ultimately God is able to do far more in our sleeping than we can even do in our waking. And that is one of the pictures of it is there are the disciples, Peter, James, and John falling asleep before this, the sight of Jesus's anguish. And while they sleep, Jesus wins and suffers in Gethsemane alone. And so, yeah, he's the savior who sacrificed his sleep for us. And the first application of that is so that we might be saved. The second application of that is, okay, how might we be like him mm-hmm. in doing some sacrifice of sleep when love calls? Yeah. I just wish there was one place in the New Testament where Jesus talks about taking a nap. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, he does in the boat, right? Everyone, well, that, other that, people are awake. I think of that as like nighttime, though. You know, <laughs> Didn't they cross the, the lake at night? Well, we'd have to take a careful look. There's, yeah, you know, more than one lake crossing, but yeah, yeah. the other disciples are awake apparently. And so, yeah. I always thought of him going to bed early then. <laughs> <laughs> sure, yeah. But the, um, when he rested, when he was talking uh, to the Samaritan woman too at the well. Right. And he, it was noon or noonday and, and he was tired and he wanted to tired. sit down and rest. So yeah. we got a good glimpse of, of the energy that he that he had and the amount of uh, rest that he needed just because he was human. That's right. Yep. Uh, The picture we get of Jesus in the Gospels is of a fully human Savior. So what what did you learn from doing your research on sleep? Well, uh, my early naive assumptions about little sleep being associated with godliness have been balanced out. Nice. 
Uh, Everyone's happy in your household. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> a dad's I mean, not wandering around the kitchen <laughs> at one in the morning, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, the the way that the scriptures talk about sleep is complex, right? Because like we've talked about today, there there are very good reasons to get little sleep. And sometimes it is the better part of godliness to be awake at night because there's some need of love that calls. There's some kind of consultation with your Lord. There's a big decision that needs to happen. There's somebody to take to the airport. There's a crying child down the hall. There's a spouse who needs to talk. So there's very many good reasons to be awake when by default we would normally be asleep. And so the scriptures talk about it in a complex way. But here's the thing. We live in a caffeinated world. Mm -hmm. We live in a sedentary world. We live in a digital world. And all the research suggests that people are getting less sleep today, like quite a bit less sleep than uh, in past generations. And so probably if there's an area, if there's a direction that we as a society need to go toward, it would be more sleep, not less, in general, as the default mode. So if we say by default, I'm aiming for seven to eight hours of sleep Mm -hmm. a night, and I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, flex when love calls me to do otherwise. Mm-hmm. That would be a good thing. Obviously, it needs to come from a heart of faith that sleep is a good gift of God, and therefore that's why I'm gonna do this. Yeah, one thing you said a couple interviews ago, which I've never forgotten, and I've repeated it many times. The last time, as early as the last few days, was God is not only a God of the day, but He is the God of the night. That's right. Yeah, the psalmist says very simply, uh, "The day is yours." The night is yours also. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because sometimes people wake up in the middle of the night and they feel alone or isolated or Mm -hmm. anxious and and you you say God's a God of the night. So That's right. There are these psalmists, you know, just um, several times throughout the Psalms of these psalmists being awake at night and it being a precious time for prayer to the God who is very present even at night. Mm -hmm. So we just have a minute left. Any little sleeping tricks you have do you use white noise or do you, <laughs> like a fan or anything that you oh yeah do? yeah white noise yeah lots of lots of little tips and tricks probably the biggest one because i went through a big season of mysterious sleeplessness but biggest one was simply as being as consistent as i could be on when i went to sleep and uh, when i woke up that's really a big deal yeah god made our bodies it seems to function yes. in that kind of way yes yes as a kid, you'd say, you know, you were sent to bed at nine and you were going, when I get to be an adult, I'm going to stay up past nine. <laughs> then you get to be an adult. What time do you go to bed? Nine. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually you go Eventually, back there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, Scott Hubbard, thank you so much for being here. I love your teaching and I love your writing. So I, I always enjoy having you on as I appreciate this article on the godliness of a good night's sleep. You can learn more about that at desiringgod.org. Thanks again, Scott. Good to be here, Bill. All right, we're going to take a little break, and then we're going to talk to Daryl Harrison. He's coming up in the next hour. I'm looking forward to talking to my friend Daryl again. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.